us in the new man, that you have transformed us and renewed us, uh, Lord, according to your spirit. And uh, Father, we we pray and we ask that you would help us to bring our lives into greater conformity to your word, and help us to rightly divide the word of truth so that we can apply these things to our lives. Father, we want to be pleasing to you, as Paul says, in all respects. And so we ask your help now, and uh, we pray that you would encourage us as we study your word in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. Okay. So as we continue to move right along here in practical theology, we come to a section, verses 25 down to 32, really to the end of the letter. And really, I guess what we could call this section here, at least, if we're just thinking about an outline, 25 to 32, what we could call a section on virtue, uh, well, virtue or character. How many times is the word character found in the Bible? Huh? That's not fair because you're at a great disadvantage. I have not only Bible software, but I used it last night to find out. <laughs> right? But the word character is actually only found uh, a couple of times in the, in the Bible. Uh, and there's a couple of different Greek words even at that. So um, it's not found that often. Uh, but that's what we're looking at. And then if we transition into chapter 5, verses 1 uh, all the way down to verse 21, um, in, in a sense, this virtue, this character is what relates to, I guess, what we could even say the private the private life of the individual, which as here what we could talk about is the public life of the individual. And of course, there's some kind of spillover in both of these categories, but that's essentially what we're, what we're given here. And I was almost tempted to go all the way to chapter 5, verse 21, because, I mean... It's just so, so, it's just so amazing the transition that he makes from private to public and just how comprehensive it is. But we're going to probably focus just on verse 25 to 32 today. And what we're seeing in this section is, is, is more of the implications of regeneration. I mean, really, if you want to get back to systematic theology, that's what we're looking at. Uh, because in light of conversion, right? Because of conversion, because of regeneration, or what has then ultimately become a discussion on what? Old man, right? Right? Versus the new man, right? And that what, that is what has resulted from our conversion and because of our, by virtue of our union with Christ, our old man has been done away with and we are to set aside the deeds of the old man. And the new man has come, new nature, which is really the indication of a new creation uh, remember second uh, corinthians chapter 5 or 17 says uh, if any man be in christ so that's union with christ he is what he is a he is a new creation right he is a new creature he is a new creation and so that's what we're seeing here we even saw this if you back up just to verse 24 that we are to put on the new self just the language of new creation just to, that we are to put on the new self which is in the likeness of god has been created you see that uh, in the righteousness and holiness of the truth. So they're very much going back to the idea of, of a new creation. And that is really what the new man uh, is all about. So what Paul gives us now um, is, really, is really beautiful because n- notice what happens in verse 25. And really, I mean, honestly, guys, all the way down to verse 21 of chapter 5, you have all of these imperatives, and they're spoken negatively, right? Um, <clears throat> this is where, like, the hyper-grace movement airs, because what they would say is, don't focus on the imperatives of the New Testament, for example. Don't, don't focus so much in your Christianity on the prohibitions of the Bible, right? Just, just, just focus on the grace of God, marvel at the grace of God in Christ and that by just simply looking at grace and grace and grace, that will cause you to live holy. Well, maybe, you know what I mean? But at the same time, you know, the Apostle Paul is the one who gave us these imperatives. He's the one that gave us all of these uh, prohibitions, right? So that we understand, right? Those who are now not, uh, you know, because the concern is always, well, we don't want to create a new law. You know, that's uh, 
that's definitely a concern that they have is, you know, what does Paul say? You know, we're not under the law, but we are under grace. And so what they're trying to emphasize is that aspect. But at the same time, it was the same Paul who said we are under the law of Christ, right? So we definitely still, you know, use the law of God in the sense that it guides us and it leads us to know what is righteous and what is unrighteous. So it still provides for us a moral guide in our lives. But of course, now it is what we call the law of Christ in the sense that only as we see the law through Christ, through the apostles, through what he taught, do we really understand how that applies to our lives in Christianity. So say that to say only because in these passages you have all of these prohibitions. For example, look at verse 25. Therefore, laying aside all falsehood, right? Uh, verse 26, be angry, but, he says, do not sin, right? He who steals is to steal no longer, you see? Uh, verse 30, do not grieve the Holy Spirit. Uh, let's just keep going down just so you can see some of these prohibitions, right? He's, it says also, um, it says in verse 3, immorality, impurity must not even be named among you. That's a very strong prohibition, right? Verse 6, let no one deceive you with empty words, right? Um, do not become partakers with them. I mean, we are commanded to not do these things. Verse 11, do not participate in the unfruitful works of darkness or deeds of darkness, all of these things. Um, and so, of course, we have to pay attention to these prohibitions that are good for us. So I say that to say not only is this section giving us a prohibition, but positively, notice what he does. He doesn't just tell us what we're not to do. Right. He goes beyond that. Right. That's kind of what the that's like what the Ten Commandments did. Right. Do not lie. Do not steal. Do not murder. Do not covet. Right. But notice the commandment does not go on. Right. It ends at the prohibition. But notice what Paul's doing. He not only is he saying don't lie, lay aside falsehood. But then there's a positive. There's a positive imperative as well. Speak the truth. Each one of you to his neighbor. For we are members of one another. Sure, yeah. <laughs> was that Al Mohler? I'll just sit down. Let's let let's listen to him teach. <laughs> just listen to him teach. Sure, it's good. I think Al Mohler would agree with what I'm teaching here right now. So let's let's um let's let's try to figure this out, right? In terms of old man, new man. Um, and I even created a little bit of a chart, right? So what's going on here is that he's exhorting us in verse 25. And boy, I thought I put verses next to all of this. But in, in verse 25, you know, what belongs to the old man is what? Falsehood, right? No falsehood. What belongs to the new man, we could say, is truth, right? That's right, truth. And so that's why he says laying aside. Remember the laying aside language? What is that talking about? Yeah, the put off and the put on. Look at verse 24. Put on the new self. You see that? Um, look at verse 22. That in reference to your former manner of life, you lay aside the old self. Remember that? And um, and just an interesting tidbit. You remember me talking a little bit about this earlier, but this language of put on, put off, uh, and being clothed right with the new man, right? It's... I was just fascinated. This is kind of totally off, off subject, but I love it because it just shows you the power of biblical theology that we talked about when we were studying that. But in Genesis chapter 3, I think it's in verse 21. Somebody can look that up. But, um, you know, there, um, Genesis it talks about that God had clothed the man and the woman, right, with the skins that he made for them. Well, in the Septuagint, which what is the Septuagint? The Old Testament in the Greek translation. So, so in the Old Testament, that Greek word in Genesis 3.21 is the same Greek word that's being used right here in these contexts for putting on or clothing yourself with the new man. Anyway, just really interesting. So you read any commentary today on put off, put on, put off, put on. They'll tell you that language is language of disrobing or taking off a robe, putting on a robe. You see what I'm saying? And uh, where does that come from? You know, is it just Paul wanting to, you know, give us a neat 
example or an illustration. No, I think it goes all the way back to the concept of Genesis chapter 3 that God clothed Adam and Eve with a typological righteousness of Christ by providing for them atonement. Anyway, uh, that's another. And because also in these contexts, we're talking about a new creation, right? So it does kind of correlate with Genesis and the creation. But um, let's see here. He says, laying aside falsehood, speak truth, each one of you to his neighbor, for we are members of one another. Is there any reason why he starts with this? Is there any logical reason um, that he begins with this virtue, truth-telling? I guess we could say honesty, right? Um, because then he goes on to to enumerate other things. But is there any reason why you guys think he begins with this? I, I just I thought about it, and I didn't find it in any commentary, so... Um, Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah, I yeah, I don't know that there's a real wrong answer here, but I'm just that trying to pique your curiosity. That's right. Yeah, that's the way I saw it, uh, Juan, was that I saw that if you don't have the foundation of truth, right, if we don't have that established, right, if we are pseudos, false, uh, pseudos just means false, right? We try to kind of in, in translate that in a way that we can understand it in modern translations. So they, they would say falsehood so that you kind of know, you know, if he just said, you know, uh, lay aside false, <laughs> you'd be like, huh? <laughs> you know, that's that's kind of an interesting word, but that's what he's saying. So it's like you could even say, lay aside that which is false or lay aside falsehood, right? So it's like if we don't lay the foundation of being genuine, of being truthful, right? Then, then, then how, if we're not practicing the truth, how will we obey the rest of what Paul's about to tell us? If we're not walking in the light. I mean, we're not going to obey the rest of the imperatives. It's that simple. So that could be a logical reason as to why he began with this one. That's right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Very good. Uh, notice also he's quoting from the Old Testament. Uh, this is one of the reasons I love the NASB because this is a short Old Testament quote, right? It's not very big. It's not like a big like chunk that he's quoting. So the NASB capitalizes Old Testament quotation. So it's real easy for me to see that's an Old Testament right there, Old Testament citation. And he's quoting out of Zechariah chapter 8, verse 16, which that's interesting because in the context of Zechariah chapter 8, God is promising to do good to Jerusalem and to Judah to the people of God and is speaking in a redemptive historical fashion of a future time when God would purify his people. Well, this is interesting because now the Apostle Paul is applying what's going on with the Ephesians, with Gentiles, to God's promises to Judah, which is really interesting, right? Uh, I think that kind of supports some of the covenantal uh, notions that we kind of come back to time and again to show that in the economy of God, there's one people of God, right? Ultimately, and the church is, in a sense, the, the, the ultimate fruition of that one people of God. It's like we have the final identity of the people of God, no longer defined by ethnic lines, but now defined by, you know, uh, whether or not you're in Christ. You know, so interesting. Yes, ma- yes sir. Mm. Well, interesting. That goes right along with Hebrews, what we've been talking about, right? As citizens of Zion, right? We belong to that, you know, eschatological people of God, you know, that, that all of that was pointing forward to. So anyway, but yeah, he says, you know, and, and, and here's what's interesting. It says, speak the truth, each one of you to his neighbor. Now, how do we define neighbor in this context? Is neighbor anyone? Right? Is it is it just anyone any one of our neighbors whatsoever? Yes, sir. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's right. I think, I mean, should we speak the truth to our neighbors? <laughs> Probably, right? <laughs> it's like, well, I lie to you, but to the church I tell the truth. You know, that's not, that's not the new man either, <laughs> right? That's Islam. Oh, wow. Takia? Are you going to Takia? Oh, boy. By the way, don't forget, July, we have, um, we have a brother coming to teach on Islam, uh, and that's going to be a really great time. So the whole month, so we'll be take we're we're gonna pause our Sunday school lessons in here, go back in the sanctuary and listen to Brother Rami uh teach us uh for several weeks on Islam. So bring your questions, right, and stuff like that that you're gonna have. That's gonna be a good time. Uh yeah, I, I think this is definitely speaking of the truth to one another. Uh for example, look at jump over to chapter five, verse twenty one. Right? Chapter five, verse twenty one, kind of a parallel uh, idea, right? He says, and be subject to one another in the fear of Christ. So this language of one another is very much, you know, of course, we're not subject to everyone in the fear of Christ. We're subject to one another as believers in the fear of Christ. So I think it's definitely speaking in that sense. What's the next, I guess the next parallel or the next antithesis, right? You, you, we are told no anger, Right? So lay aside anger. Do, be angry, but do not sin. But, so we want to discuss that. But from anger to what? So let's, let's look at that. So it says, be angry and yet do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your, ra- on your anger and do not give the devil an opportunity. So what are we being told? Okay. So what kind of anger are we, are we to, are we prohibited? And engaging in sinful anger, right? Because this this scripture is making making a very fine distinction. Because notice what is the imperative? <laughs> the imperative is not do not be angry. What's the imperative? Be angry. Wow, right? But <laughs> be angry and yet do not sin. So, what kind of anger are we to positively pursue? Righteous anger, righteous indignation, right? Any examples that you can think of in your mind where righteous indignation exists in the Bible? Yes, sir. Well, Kadab, he rose his hand, so. I'm gonna. Mm. Right. Yeah, and, and whipping people, that's right. <laughs> And Paul tells the Corinthians, what do you want me to do? Come to you with a whip? You know what I mean? Which is really true. Yes, Mike. Yeah, but that, that, that's an example of anger where he just kind of, where he flew off the handle, right? <laughs> so he would, that was unrighteous anger, right? Yes, sir? Phineas. That's right. That's right. And what did God say? Well, what did he say that he said, leave him alone because he is jealous with my jealousy, yeah. right? So he had a pure zeal in what he did. Wow, it's just amazing. That's what I was thinking of is that that's like to me the ultimate example of righteous indignation, you know what I mean, where he actually, you know, killed two fornicators in the covenant community and God affirmed him. Wow. You know, and who are we to question God? Correct. Right. That's right. Yes, sir. Oh, wow. Yeah. That's right. Yeah. There's, um, I mean, there's a, there's a subject, huh? The imprecatory Psalms and imprecatory prayers. And what about today? And, you know, all of that. Yeah. The letter to Galatians. Yeah. That shows quite a bit of anger, huh? Righteous indignation. He's upset because, the Galatians, they, they're, they started out on an apostolic foundation and then they're drifting away so quickly, so amazed, right? That there's this, I guess we can say this righteous indignation along with that. So, but here's a greater point. 
not only be angry and do not sin, right? So I would say that's part of the imperative, okay? This kind of anger, but do not sin. So no sinful, and I guess we better put this here, no sinful anger, right? So contrary to sinful anger, what are we to do? Because the command is not not so not just you know pursue righteous indignation, but what is he telling us to do here? Do not let the sun go down on your anger, and do not give the uh, the devil an opportunity. And so, what does it take in order not to give the devil an opportunity? You see what I'm saying? And I'll tell you what I wrote down because um, uh, just to let you know uh, what I was thinking is is not just um, you know I wrote from wrath to vigilance, right? That we have to be spiritually vigilant, not flying off the handle in wrath, but quite to the contrary, that God wants us to be spiritually vigilant, right? Because he wants us to know that we have an enemy, we have an adversary, and and look at what he's seeking. He's seeking an opportunity. So if you give in to sinful anger, you're giving the enemy, if you're not vigilant, you're going to give the enemy an opportunity to come in and to what? Kill, steal, steal and destroy, right? You're going to just, you're going to set yourself up. Um, yes, ma'am. Definitely. I mean, definitely. I mean, those are kind of all, you know, different breeds of the same, you know, I guess different species of the same animal, you know, so to speak. I mean, we're just... And that's all kind of different aspects of that sinful reaction that we can have. But um, think about anger, you guys. Uh, how destructive anger is. Wouldn't you agree? I, I told you guys this story. Um, and I, ha- I have to tell it again. But, uh, you know, I just went to a funeral um, with a friend that was in a terrible fight with his wife these are really, really dear uh, friend of mine that I've known for pff, almost my whole Christian life. And because of this sinful anger and this angry dispute, um, he went and grabbed a gun uh, from somewhere in the house. And the claim is, and there's a big dispute of what happened, but um, my friend claims that he threw it at his wife in a threatening manner, just kind of in an angry sort of telling her, you shoot me if you hate me type of thing. Gun goes off, shoots her, and she dies. And I hate to tell that story, but a really close friend called me right after that happened, just crying in tears uncontrollably. And the first thing that came out of his mouth was anger, Emilio. Anger is a beast. And I'll never forget that, you know, and the, the lesson of that. And that's so true, that anger can take you to places you never thought you would ever go, you know. And, and, and we typically tend to maybe even underestimate the power of anger, you know. So, man, I wish I wish I didn't have that that illustration, at least, for that kind of lesson, but... That just shows you, right? I mean, how destructive anger if it's not con- under control. And who wins in a situation like that? Well, the enemy. Satan takes opportunity of that Christian couple, and that's what happens, you know, and we're susceptible to that, you know. So really bad. I mean, anger is not, not a good thing for us, for sure. Yes, yes, ma'am. Yeah, that's right. There's a lot of scripture uh, that talks about controlling your emotions. I don't, I don't know the, the the chapter and verse, but the proverb that says, you know, the foolish man vents his emotions, but the wise man conceals them, right? And that's not saying be fake. That's saying control your emotions. You know, what I mean, don't let your emotions get ahead of you, especially for those of you that are sort of susceptible to wear your emotions on your sleeve, right? We say that. Um, you know, there, there's another proverb that says, you know, better is a man that, you know, uh, better is the man 
that rules how does it go better is a man that rules himself than a man who takes a city right so it takes more self-control and takes more of a man to control himself than to even take over a city you know so um questions yes sir michael you were holding your hand up Yeah, that's right. I mean, you know, the Bible says a kind word turns away wrath. So obviously don't return evil with evil, but rather give a blessing, you know, Scripture says. So instead of getting into a back and forth, and we know how difficult that could be at times when the old man is rearing his ugly head and the flesh is getting the best of us, right, in the heat of the moment, we don't have the self-control that we need. So we just need to understand that the longer we dig our heels, you know, in, and the, 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 the slower we are to repentance and towards humility, you know, the worse it is for us. You know what I mean? We're only going to be cursed ourselves when we fail to quickly repent and turn and, and to be reconciled to, to our spouse. So definitely. Um, yeah. Yep. Yep. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Anger never gets you what you want, you know, so that's why we have to be vigilant, you know, because understand that when we allow ourselves to use explosive, you know, sinful anger in our lives, we are giving an opportunity for the evil one, right? And and, and, and anger sometimes will deceive us into thinking that by being angry, we are getting our point across or we're going to get our will done, Right. But really, the only will that's going to be done is his, is the enemy's. You know, that's why we have to be vigilant. And to know that he's always around. <laughs> he's always around, prowling and lurking and seeking to prey upon people that give into anger. Yes, ma'am? Well, even if you follow the advice that he tells us right here, Marlene, in verse 26, he says, do not let the sun go down on your anger. So in other words, you need to have short accounts with your anger. Right. You need to deal with it quickly. Nip it in the bud. Get it over with. Right. And don't let it fester for days and days and days. Right. That's poison. So instead of letting things fester, we should expose them, bring it in the light so that God can deal with it. You know what I mean? But the longer we try to, you know, perpetuate the problem, the worse it gets. I mean, that's just how it works. Yes, sir. Wow. Amen. That's right. Now, what kind of anger is that talking about? <laughs> That's right. That's right. Sinful anger. Um, okay, so let's move to the next one, okay? So not only... Uh, that's a big one, though, right? I mean, that's something we, uh, many of us struggle with is being, you know, sinful anger um, and, and, and not just, just not having the self-control that we need so that when we're angry, we do not go to the next step in sin. I mean... That's the fruit of the Spirit, you know. The fruit of the Spirit is self-control. So for the Christian, we cannot say things like, oh, I can't control my anger, period. You know, no, that's not true. The reality is, is yes, you may fail in the area of anger, but according to the Bible, you do have self-control because you have the Spirit. So the Spirit should be giving you the power to overcome your anger. You see what I'm saying? By the Spirit put to death the deeds of the flesh, right? How do you do that? By the Spirit means pull from the resources that the Spirit has given you. Meekness, patience, kindness, love, self-control, the fruit of the Spirit, all of those things, right? Uh, next one, verse 28, he who steals must steal no longer, but rather he must labor, performing what is good with his own hands so that he will have something to share with the one who has need. So uh, the prohibition or what the characterizes the old man is, yeah, is, uh, how do you spell that? I'm going to say thievery. Did I spell that wrong? You guys are <laughs> merciless. 
Needless to say, I will never enter a spelling bee. Thievery and then what? Labor. Labor. Is that as far? Hey, guys, is that as far as the text goes? It's just work? What's that? Charity? I'm thinking about charity, but even more, right? What was that? There you go, Michael. That's right. You be generous, right? So generosity. Generosity. Don't tell me it's spelled wrong. <laughs> it is spelled wrong. Oh, my gosh. There you go. I have it right here because Word corrected my bad spelling. That's right. So contrary to stealing or being a thief or thievery, what does this expose about us, by the way? If we're stealing, what does it expose about us? Selfishness, greed, covetousness. That's right. You see, falsehood. That's right. See how, um, see how that the, the sins of the old man, we can call these radical, right? Sometimes you use the word radical. What it means is it just, it goes everywhere. Right, it metastasizes into all sorts of other things, and 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 certainly stealing is a radical sin because it, it is connected to all these other sinful things, covetousness, which is what according to the Bible, idolatry. Right, if you're coveting something according to the Bible, you're like an idolater because you are so devoted to that thing that you must have it. You know, your devotion devotion is to the thing that you want. Um, so not not thievery, but rather generosity. Have another friend story that impacted me many years ago. Um, this guy had a multi-million dollar construction company, and before he was saved, um, he um, he was cheating on his taxes for years, um, and he was making a ton of money in the process. And then what happened was is that he ended up getting saved and the Lord convicted him of what he was doing with his taxes. And so he started paying his taxes and lost millions and millions of dollars. Uh, lost, you know what I mean? His profit margin went down from what it used to be because he was being honest. But do you know his life was so blessed after that? Like, you know, the Lord ended up prospering his business and, you know, he retired in a really in a really good way, you know what I mean, rather than than in that way. And, and he be, went on to be one of the most generous people I've ever met in my life. You know, so, uh, you know, we think of stealing and, 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 I mean, we can think of, you know, the fact that stealing seems absurd. I mean, I'm not going to go through Walmart and steal something. Uh, I mean, some people are prone to that. I don't know. Some people may may view that and rationalize it in their mind and think, you know, um, what does it really matter if I take this pencil or pen from Walmart? You know, nobody's going to care, right? There's a way that sin will rationalize its way to getting you what you want. <laughs> and before you know it, the rationality of sin is such that it almost seems moral to do it. Isn't that what Satan did? Right? Disobedience to God in the garden became the moral high ground, right? He's keeping something from you. He knows that the day that you eat of it, you will be like God, knowing good and evil. See, what's going on is God, you know, God doesn't, he, he's, you know, he's not being generous, right? He's keeping something from you. Satan masked the fall in what? Morality. That it was moral to disobey the commands of God. Think about it. That's how evil and diabolical it can be. I have to steal because I need to provide for my house. Right? I've got bills to pay. You don't know what I'm going through. And so I just had to take that from work. I mean, there's all, there's a million different ways that sin will rationalize these things. Anything come to you guys from this command here? Yep. Uh huh. Oh, man. Sometimes Christians are the most notorious at this than anybody. Right? Oh, um, you know, how come, why weren't you doing your job? Oh, I was witnessing. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah, but you should have been doing your work. You know what I mean? Don't blame, don't blame the gospel because you're not giving your boss the time that he's paying you for. Right? 
Oh man, and I know and that that's something you can easily slip into. Yes, sir. That's right. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. Amen. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, if you wanna if you want to witness that work, you know, go work for an evangelism ministry then. You know? May not pay the bills, but <laughs> you can still witness. You see how the new man goes beyond the prohibition, though? It's not just don't steal or steal no longer, but rather he must labor, okay, number one, right? So what is the ethic of the new man is that he labors, right? So there's generosity and there is hard work. You know, what does the Bible say about working? A lot, right? Paul says in Second Thessalonians, if you don't work, you don't eat. Really, the reality is this, is that Christians should be the hardest working people on earth, period. Case closed, right? Because 1 Corinthians 10.31 tells us whatever we do, do it to the glory of God. So we should strive to excel in this area, right? That we should, I mean, we should be the number one employee on the team. Um, I developed, I, I came up with a phrase when I was working construction. I was not the best worker, but... I, I try to do good work, but I use this phrase to keep me accountable and to try to impress my boss. And the phrase was, whatever it takes. So when my boss told me, hey, we need to do this, blah, 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 we need to do that, do this or that, my response was, whatever it takes. And, yeah, and that kept me accountable to have to do the work, whatever it takes, Okay. And also to show my boss, hey, I'm willing, I'm not going to gripe, right? I'm not going to complain, you know, none of that. And um, sometimes that got me in some pretty crummy jobs. <laughs> and that's all right, you know what I mean? But that really should be our attitude at work, whatever it takes, whatever I have to do, right? What are you going to do, complain, grumble, right? Many of us were just far too given over to that. Right? It turns into anger. See, there we go again. The radical nature of sin. It's never alone. So if you don't obey this, it will metastasize in all of these carnal vices. Anybody else have anything on that? I think there's a corrective action in that. It's a man specifically that steals. Mm. He's commanded to work with his hands. It's mm. like a mm. like a character penance. Mm. That's right. Correct. Amen. Yeah, this is pure. See what I'm saying? Virtue and character. It takes a lot of character to do it the right way. You know what I mean? Because you can't cut corners. Because you are doing, because everyone else might be cutting corners, but as the, for the child of God, you're not allowed to cut corners. You, this is the narrow, hard, difficult road. You know what I mean? And that is what Christianity is. It's, it's difficult. It's hard. The way of righteousness is hard at times, right? Um, but we know where that leads. You know? Yes, yes ma'am. Mm-hmm. And they would not tip. Mm-hmm. And it's really a formula, isn't it? Right. In a sense, it's basically yeah. you're stealing mm-hmm. from them. Yeah. 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 I've made it a policy of mine that, you know, I try to t
you know, as a Christian. And even when I don't have great service, because I know, I know that they've heard me talking about the Lord in my conversation and in my fellowship. I know they've heard that we were talking about Christianity. And so for good or for bad, I'm going to leave a big tip. <laughs> you know what I mean? Well, of course. Well, especially if you're there. Yeah. right amen let's look at the next one it says in verse 29 let no unwholesome word proceed from your mouth but only such as a word as is good for edification according to the need of the moment so that it will give grace to those who hear and then it says do not grieve the holy spirit of god by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption um so we'll stop there so, I mean, right here, you know, he turns to our speech, and that's why I've characterized it as either harmful speech or helpful speech, right? So God cares about the way that we talk. He cares about the mouth of the new man. You know, let no unwholesome word proceed from your mouth. Let me tell you something right now, you guys. Christian cussing is, is not acceptable in the sight of God. You have people out there in Christendom. I am not part of that. I don't support it. Don't care for it. It's not biblical. I don't like it. That are making a case for, well, what are the moral, ethical parameters of that really? I mean, I mean, if you're trying to make a point, isn't it okay? And, and maybe for a specific, in a specific context and, a, and for a specific reason, maybe a, a curse word is necessary. I disagree vehemently. Vehemently. Um, I disagree. Um, I don't even, I don't even agree with propagating, uh, filthy speech. So, for example, in our um, in our videos for from UNT that we that we record and then we put out, right? I always tell my nephew Christian, you know, uh, first you have to remove all the the the, the, the cuss words out of it, right? So, because I don't ever want to be complicit in propagating filthy speech or what he says unwholesome words, and, he, and then he goes on to talk about. Look at the parallel. Um, in verse 4, there must not be any filthiness and silly talk or coarse jesting. And there, the context is um, speech that is sordid, speech that is of a perverse kind, sexually speaking. Uh, the dirty jokes at the job place, right? The Christian has no place in joining in on that. But coming back to this, no unwholesome word whatsoever. Think about that. Nothing that is... Um, nothing that is rotten. That's another translation for that word. No rotten words. Uh, so certainly I think, you know, profanity. I mean, profanity, you guys, is not even allowed in the secular world. I mean, you say a profane word on Fox News, they got to bleep it out. And Christians are talking about there may be a case for, what are you talking about? Even the world identifies that that speech is not even acceptable, right? You can get fined. In the secular world, you can get fined for using profanity. Uh, I was preaching at UNT once, and a girl proceeded to curse at me. Some, I mean, just the vilest, the vilest, uh, most vile type of speech. You know, the, there was a cop, and he was sitting there that day. He was just watching, and there's all this stuff going on, all these people cursing and yelling. Well, this girl, her speech was so vile. The police officer came and pulled her aside. And started lecturing her because she crossed the limit. Like her speech went beyond just the, I don't want to say the what's acceptable vile speech, but it was beyond, right? And this young lady, hey, come here, let's go. He just pulled her aside and started lecturing her. I was like, yes, good, you know. <laughs> so, I mean, again, 
you know, the, the, that's an antinomian approach to the law of God, right? This idea that there's a place for us to, to do that. Uh, I just got a phone call, you know, like, Maybe I should share this, Robert. Maybe I shouldn't, but I will I'll share it because you're my family, so I'll share it with you. But somebody called me, you know, and said, "Hey, um, you, know, um, <clears throat> you know, James White wanted me to give you a call and see if you wanted to help me put something together for him." And I said, "Okay, what is it?" It's like, "Well, it's it's this, that, and the other thing." And he threw out a phrase, and I, I was like, "What? Did I hear this guy right?" He says that it's all surrounding beer and Bible. It's like, what? And then he just goes on with the, the thing. And I'm like, hold on a second. Whoa, stop everything. Did you just say the theme is going to be beer and Bible? And he's like, yeah. I was like, oh, yeah, you got the wrong person. So <laughs> like, I don't really want to be a part of beer and Bible. You know what I mean? Because it's just not, I don't want the association and stuff like that. So, you know, I'm kind of more on that side of the spectrum. You know, I don't really want to associate the gospel with beer. You know what I mean? I, I think... uh I think there's something that we as Christians, I think there's something that we miss when we do not refrain. That people see why. Well, you know, why is this person refraining from this, right? Why are these people not willing to engage in this? I mean, just look at First Peter. Turn, turn to Peter for me. First um, Peter chapter 4. Do I, am I saying, you know, drinking a beer um, is sin? No, of course not. Bible is very clear, you know, um, do not get drunk, right? But at the same time, we should have such high ethical standards and we should be other and we should be separate and we should be distinct from the world so that, look at verse 4, First uh, Peter chapter 4, verse 4, says, in all of this, they are surprised, talking about the unbeliever, they are the, really this, this evil world that we live in, right? Surprised that you do not run with them in the same excess of dissipation and they malign you. So the world should be shocked that we would refrain, right, from sinful activity, right? Um, and what did I tell this guy? He didn't like the analogy, but that's okay. I said, you know, what did he tell me? He said, well, we just believe the gospel has no boundaries or something like that. I'm like, well, what's next? You're going to go to a strip club? For the gospel? I mean, give me a break. Where does it end? You know what I mean? You open up that door. I mean, who decides? So I'd rather just, you know, there are those that want to get as close to the edge as possible to see, test the limits to see how close we can go. I would be like, get away from the line. (laughs) You know what I mean? And don't even push, uh, the point. You know, any, any questions or comments on that? Yes, ma'am. Mm-hmm. Right. Wow, look at that. Amen. Yeah. 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 Who's expressing themselves in that article? Which which man? Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know what I mean? Which man is in that is writing that article at that time? You know what I mean? Right. Right. Yeah. I mean, we hope and pray. See, my thing is this: like, I hope and pray for sanctification. I hope there's growth. I, th- I think people can grow in these. But when you're making a case for you know, I, I've had this conversation with people that they're actually making a case for uh, Christian cussing. I'm not even kidding you. Um, that this is that it's acceptable. It's right. There's nothing wrong with it. They're just words. Words are all moral, depending on the way that you use them. It's just preposterous. Yes, sir. Oh, correct. Yeah. Correct. Yeah. Yeah. So then, what I would say is, the the problem itself has a couple of, uh, the the statement itself has a couple of problems. Number one, so then, are you suggesting Scripture contradicts itself? Right. On the one hand, we're being told do not use cuss words. 
On the other hand, you're telling me Scripture simultaneously advances an example to cuss. Is that what you're saying? So Scripture teaches both don't cuss and cuss at the same time? That's a contradiction, right? So that's a problem. Number two, when you, ex- when you really look at those contexts, it's not, it's, it's not cussing. So usually they're pointing to Philippians chapter 3, right? Verse, I think it's verse 7. I've counted all things dung for the sake of Christ. They say that that word is, uh, can be used pejoratively. Uh, it's not just saying dung. It's saying a, a more vile cuss word, right? And of course it's not. It's not. Just look at the lexical entries. There's no reason. There's no lexical entry that you're going to go to. You can't go to the BDAG, which is the most respected Greek lexicon on earth. You can't go to the BDAG and find a cuss word (laughs) for the Greek word that Paul uses in Philippians 3. It's never going to be there because that's not what he used. Yes, sir. Yeah. Uh Uh-oh. Mm-hmm. Of a Christian smoking. Yeah. You know, you know, whether it's cigars, you know, cigarettes. Yeah. yeah. Because I do know from experience that that leads to other things too. It can. And it leads to cursing, drinking, you know. Yeah, it can. I know people that call themselves Christians that smoke. Mm-hmm. But yet, well, I would say, Marshall, not necessarily, right? Somebody can enjoy a cigar to the glory of God and not necessarily curse, right? Um, so I think what Scripture would tell us in, what is it, First Corinthians chapter 6, I think the Apostle Paul says, you know, that I will not be brought under the power or mastered by anything, right? And I think there he's even specifically dealing with substance, Right. So whether it's alcohol or nicotine or whether it's tobacco or whatever, you should not be brought under the power of that thing so that it controls you. It has mastery over your life. It's a vice. You know what I'm saying? Um, whether whatever it is, you know, what I mean, is is taking a cigarette and puffing a cigarette necessarily sin? No, no more than taking a beer and drinking alcohol is a sin. But the question is, it has it become a vice Does it have mastery over you? And is it hindering your walk with God, your effectiveness, right, in the gospel? Those are all implications you have to really, really think about if you're going to be pursuing that that type of thing. You know what I mean? We are totally out of time.